Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. A little after 8 o'clock UK time. We're still GMT, of course, here in the UK. It's Wednesday and it is Midweek Motorsport. Live from a variety of socially distanced venues. Two hours of chat. Uh, Some sensible, some not so much. Some quite irreverent, I suspect. Uh, But lots, hopefully, of information and entertainment for you tonight. At Specutainment, if you want to get in touch and Tim Gray is up in London our executive producer good evening Tim how are you I'm very well John had some lovely delicious pavlova uh, this evening with pineapple we went on it. back had um, a bit of a, a throwback midweek motorsport throwback weekend uh, week this was in terms of food tonight um, a very nice prawn cocktail with my Bloody Mary Rose sauce, and then uh, the responsible adults brought back a classic wild mushroom risotto. How do you make wild ru- mushroom risotto? It's an old joke. Uh, on a patio tonight, Tim, <laughs> we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features, including Excellent. Uh, a big interview. We've got some ever since I was a young boy news. Uh, we've got calendar news. That's uh, obviously uh, double helping Bumper. calendar news, in fact. Bumper calendar um, news, which uh, Jet is very excited about. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, um, we're also joined by Marco Bononomi as well. Yes, who I talked to earlier uh, this week. And we've got some more Marco Bononomi news. There's a lot of uh, Marco well. Bononomi coming this, uh, <laughs> this month on uh, the RSL network. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's say hello to G Green Racing, to Jesse Young. Hugely excited about Mirko Bortolotti joining Calderelli and Mapelli at Orange 1 for the IGTC on top of the already announced N24 and VLN. Cracking. Will be as well. Uh, VLN, oh sorry, NLS not too far away now as well. Uh, and of course, good news for all of us because there's another Mount Panorama property for sale on Conrod Strait. As well, the Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight doing an Assetto Course competition race at Snetterton. A track says the SRBS. Uh, track you really doesn't like. Mega tricky to do, decent like the Brundle and Nelson complex is blooming difficult to get right. Try doing it for real. Uh, Kevin Payne wondering why Guy Smith's nationality on one of the entry lists we'll be talking tonight is listed as a question mark. He's from Yorkshire, mate. Yorkshire. The People's Republic of Yorkshire. 
Also, what does less than 30 mean against some of the LMP3 drivers? It means they're under 30 years old, I think, yes. Hello to Matt Hunter. Uh, rubbing stone. themselves. Less than 30 stone, yes. Uh, Matt Hunter. Uh, Simcast tomorrow night. We'll have news of that for you as well. Hello, Brody. You'll never guess what I'm doing, he says. No EFAs. Looking forward to the long listen tonight with the ALMS story afterwards. Yes, because following us tonight is the Historic Racing News team led by Tarsi Tarsi, Paul Tarsi, uh, along with a whole host of ALMS Radio Web alumni as they go back in time to one of the golden eras of sports car racing, the ALMS. That's at 10 o'clock tonight here on RS1. Jack Martin is up early. Morning all, he says. Catching up with the podcast later today as I'm flying to Phillip Island for the upcoming TCR and S5000 round, which I suspect, actually, Creelsey, Shebex and the rest of the team will be talking about tomorrow night, although Creelsey will be along to tell us a wee bit about On The Grid later on this evening. Tron Valentine listening live, doing uh, supply preparation and checks for the trip to Wednesday, to Sebring next week. Uh, Dave Alcock uh, listening in and looking forward to the ALMS content later uh, as well uh, hello to uh, otter fr listening live during a blood donation oh well well done for that otter fr um always always need to always need blood excellent blood donors oliver giles listening uh, ex- anticipating a more exciting hooray from rc racing with the new f1 season approaching it's still all just launches isn't it, really? Right turn, lover, listening live tonight. RTL, good to know you're in. Uh, eagerly standing by. Rob Chalner's listening as he tries to catch up after a day of IT issues and upgrading the works laptop. Blue Fiend, listening live from the Porsche, Porsche work shop. He says, Tim will be very happy. Lots of calendar news. Yes, he is. Did you not hear it in his voice? Uh, hello to Alex. Uh, chicken, mushroom, beans, sprout, stir-fry with egg-fried rice. And a dessert of washing up. Martin Webster, uh, listening loud and proud. We're planning strategy for the Maple Motorsport 24-hour kart, kart race in May. Ian McCarthy, no AFAs, at least for the first hour. What good are notebooks listening in tonight? As is uh, Jules Outybridge. Uh, and David Faulkner's got AFAs catching up on the uh, archive when it's uploaded. Thanks to Tim in advance. Serafina uh, already listening in. Looking forward to the 24-hour news. Money is listening in as well. David Two Brews uh, says, keep me entertained. Hello to Greg Sampson. Uh, now, here's a question for you, Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, silly question. Are there separate RSS feeds for On The Grid and Historic Racing News and SimCast, pod- SimCast podcasts? Yes, there are. There you go, Greg. If you search for SimCast or On The Grid or Historic Racing News, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find them. Then you need to uh, Jonathan- subscribe to get the uh, latest episodes delivered direct to your device. Or you can download them from the website. Or you can download them from the website. Jonathan Main listening in tonight, as is Jesse. Rainy day in Southern California uh, at the moment. Let's have the top story. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Just a quick hello to Ted the Toyman listening in in Australia and Sarah Rigby, who's home from work, listening in as well. Uh, and it is at Spectatainment if you'd like to get in touch. Uh, surely, Tim, 
Uh, only one big story tonight, top story tonight. I just want to go back to whichever listener it was was having IT issues. At least he is responsible for managing the OVH data centre in Strasbourg. Yeah, just move on from that. Don't even talk about that. Uh, Moving on. We're going to start with some calendar news. This is especially for Ash, who's off work with a bad back and he's listening live for once. You do like a good calendar, don't you? I do. I like a bad calendar. I just like any calendar, really. I just like to know <laughs> when things are going to happen. <laughs> well, the uh, the pencil and, and the erasers. things don't happen when I want them to happen, and they happen at other times, even when I've been told that they are going to happen at a particular time. Well, the uh, pencils and, in, indeed, erasers first, then pencils have been pressed into service in the, the last five or six days. Where should we start? I suppose I'd the like capitalist to start in the middle of June, uh, because yes, we all know what race happens there. But that's not happening there. So I thought, oh dear, we're going to avoid in the middle of June. But no, there's a different race going there instead. And that is basically like Newton's cradle, because the moment that you've pulled Le Mans date and stuck it over in August, as you drop it again, of course, everything else has. To to move. We've got Nick Damon and Shea Adam uh, with us. Shea, good evening or good afternoon as it is to you. Hello. And Nick, hello to you. Good evening, John. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, Shea. Good evening, everybody. And happy um, new year. And happy, happy new calendar again. Happy new wall planner. So, Nick, f- we've got to start from the beginning here. And on Thursday last week, the ACO, um, after we've been talking about it on Wednesday, uh, uh, the ACO um, were sort of trailing this in the French press, and we talked about it extensively on, on uh, last Wednesday. They confirmed it on Thursday, and Le Mans moves to August now. Yeah, I know. That, that, I mean, obviously, the fact that Le Mans was moving was a surprise to nobody, but moving to August when France is shut was a big surprise. I mean, you know, traditionally, you don't do anything in, in August in France, but have a lovely time and drink wine in the sun. So... Organising a major well, France has just had uh, President Macron has just given France the whole of February off instead, so they, oh, they won't have yeah. to have August off. Yeah, but they're not allowed to go skiing. Yeah. So what was the point? No, there was mm-hmm. a lot of people who went to the ski resorts that not some of them skied, some of them didn't. Ask uh, Ben Constantinos; he's mm. been he was really busy, really busy. So the problem was that moving that there then meant that ELMS the week before at Paul Ricard was a bit of an issue for ACO racing. So that basically swapped dates, Tim, with Le Mans. So ELMS Ricard's now on the original Le Mans weekend in the middle of June. Is that right? No. It's on the Le Mans test weekend, isn't it? And scrutineering weekend. See, even I can't get this right. So what moved to the... It's the wet porty mow that's moved. Oh yes, of course. I'd for- yes, yes, because you see, you see, and it's easy to get confused, dear listener, because you confused me in the last two sentences. Well, so they moved Le Mans and then said this will be the last bit of calendar news there is, and then less than twenty-four, fewer than twenty-four hours later, um, they moved um, porty mow to the old Le Mans weekend and the prologue went to the Monday and Tuesday of Spa Race Week. Spa becomes the first WEC weekend. Portimao now becomes second. Mons is still third. Then, of course, Le Mans. And then still hoping to go to Fuji in September for WEC. But moving Le Mans also had a knock-on effect with IMSA share because the weekend that 
Le Mans moved to was already taken by an IMSA weekend. It was. It was the VIR weekend, which is traditionally the Michelin GT Challenge. So at first glance, moving Le Mans, it's a clash with three cars uh, Mm. for Corvette racing and for WeatherTech racing, because both of those cars, as we will come to talk about, are on the Le Mans entry list. But it's a massive track for Corvette fans and fans were not allowed to VIR this past year in 2020. There's hope that they will be allowed to the track this coming year and fans want to see those Corvettes. So IMSA moved the VIR weekend to mm-hmm. what was Petite weekend. Petite got moved to what was traditionally the Encore weekend down at Sebring and the knock-on domino effect continues. Yes. So, all right. So, Petite is not now Petite weekend. That's VIR Michelin GT. So, uh, Michelin uh, Raceway Road Atlanta not happening that weekend. But Michelin GT Challenge at VIR is completely different time of the year for that event at, at VIR. PLM then has to move. That's gone into uh, the middle of November. Uh, the problem there was that IMSA already had a joint promoted event then with the 24-hour series event with the Creventic guys. Um, so that has now moved one week later to the 18th, 19th and 20th. <sighs> Shit, Adam, uh, I, I'm, I'm still quite excited about 24 hours of Sebring um, 18th, 19th, 20th. We've had racing around about that time before. Uh, Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta, uh, middle of November. What's the weather going to be like? Well, it's a good thing I'm living in cold weather now because it's going to be very chilly for that weekend. Um, Yeah, it's traditionally chilly at night during the Petit Le Mans weekend, which is a full month prior. Could get frost overnight if it's cold enough. Uh, Could be a slight issue for the tires even. Um, That's something I hadn't thought about uh, at this point. Um, Michelin running the S9 compound this year in GTD, remember? That's the harder of the two compounds. I wonder if maybe there will be some discussion to move on to the S8. Slightly softer. That works in colder conditions. But it is a little bit of a concern. And uh, to be honest, the thing I'm really excited about is VIR. In October, yeah. we're going to get leaves changing. Oh, yeah, good point. Good point. The other thing is it's going to be very dark then. The clocks will have uh, fallen back, uh, and uh, the, but the, the lights will be drawing in. And uh, from the press release from IMSA, it appears that that race will not start until afternoon. So sometime between midday 15 and midday 30, which means finishing at, you know, potentially half past 10 in the evening. That that shit is a lot of darkness running at PLM. That's going to be more than half the race. 10-hour race when you consider Petit Le Mans. If the race goes green at 12.30, it'll definitely be sundown by 5.30. And keep in mind, Road Atlanta, Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, we already know is one of the darkest tracks on the schedule yeah, as it point. is now. The um, the the other thing that I'm thinking about there. First of all, well done to all of these series uh, for speaking to each other and coordinating, because the ACO spoke to IMSA before they moved the Le Mans race uh, 
Imza had to talk to NBC to get some TV because, of course, Petit Le Mans in particular is normally a, and, and will, in fact, remain a, a network TV V race for at least the first couple or three hours. So it's not just a simple thing, Nick, as ringing up a track and saying, hey, can we move it by a week? <laughs> no, I mean, there's a massive amount of, um, of knock-on with, with, with major international series who, who effectively lend bits of themselves to other series and for blue band events. And absolutely, when you, move a, when you move an event, you're not just... You know, you say ringing up and saying, "Can you get the marshals there on Tuesday?" Yeah, you know, you've got to get the TV, you've got to get the, the media, or get everyone else uh, aware of how they're going to move around. I mean, the first thing at the A plus point is we've all had a year's practice at this from last year's Fair point. moving around. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the 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 can't do it; it's too difficult. It's been replaced by a kind of a well, that's how it is, can do attitude. So, I think it's quite it's quite positive in many ways. Alexander Orkin says, "Shoot me down in flames if you must. I know I should know better, but would logic not suggest an international calendar?" Uh, controlled for the most part by a relation data spirit, obviously managed by the responsible adult that RLM would be a useful solution to these calendar mm-hmm. wars. I think Eve might say she's probably got enough to do, to do uh, already. Uh, to to be honest, um, that's not quite all of it. We've uh, and I'm indebted to Creventic uh, and Evo Breukers. Had a long chat with Evo towards the end of uh, of last week. Uh, it. It also looks like because of the prologue moving to Spa on the Monday and Tuesday of the WEC week, that the 12 hours of Spa, which was slated for the Friday, Saturday, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of of the week before the WEC race, that would have been fine because the WEC teams could have moved in on Sunday and Monday for their setup because they weren't on track until Thursday. However, if they're on track Monday and Tuesday, they need to be in on Friday and Saturday to do their paddock setup. So it looks like that 12 hours will need to move. And uh, Evo's promised that as soon as that is sorted out, he will let us know and we'll let you know uh, as quickly as we can. So with that all said, Tim, mm-hmm. we did on Tom Care Tuesday, and thank you very much have for all the kind words. Something. What have we missed? Uh, just making sure we've got all the calendar changes. That uh, you, have you could been you, you could be here. absolutely right. Um, Le Mans is there. You happy? Yes, I'm happy. Yep. Right. On Tom Care Tuesday, uh, and absolutely in response to us having the 9th of March for the nine-time winner, Tom Christensen, nine-time Le Mans winner, Tom Christensen, the ACO decided to use that day to uh, announce the entry list for Le Mans 2021. Now on August uh, 2122, uh, and with the test day the previous weekend, as far as their Instagram has been saying, uh, Nick and Shea have looked through it, as have I. Um, taking it from the top, I, I would sort of say, Nick, no surprises there. Five top category cars, uh, four hypercars, and the LMP1. Recycled, uh, recycled rebellion, um, in there. So, so no shocks there, and and crucially, no bicolis in there. 
No, I don't think we were expecting to see the buy collies. Um, it's interesting. There's not there's not a TBA third entry for Glickenhaus, which apparently you can buy <laughs> according to their web with their uh, their Facebook uh, uh, chat. Anyway, um, no, I mean I think it's um, it, we haven't seen the Glickenhaus run yet, so yeah, we we have to 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 wait and see whether it's any sort of match to the Toyota. Um, we know the Alpine won't be because it's been grandfathered in with a disadvantage deliberately. Um, you know. It's. I know we're several months out, and it's not necessarily the most positive thing to say, but it, it just looks like Toyota to lose again. The uh, second Glickenhaus, the, the, the first Glicken, the first Glickenhaus has been turning some laps uh, in the last week. The second chassis is uh, in production at the moment. Is uh, what we've heard from Jim Glickenhaus. Swapped a few um, private messages with him as recently as this evening and he he is still quite bullish uh, the 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 one th- the, there is a change tim isn't there with the the entry list because of all the things that are on the entry list there's something that isn't part of the entry list which is not effectively a confirmed entry this year and, it, and that is a change it's the first thing i noticed about uh, the entry list uh, was what wasn't there which was a reserve list and that is because the aco uh, and Pierre on the president of the ACO, has said that because of moving the race back, they realise that it might change people's plans from when the uh, entries were uh, the entries for the race were opened. So what they're going to do is they're going to have a separate reserve list um, opening hours, if you will, from the 12th to the 29th of March. So those people who haven't had an entry. Uh, out of uh, those who applied, they can decide, so anyone of the non-62, they can decide whether they want to apply for the reserve list. Now, reserve lists, normally, they are replaced on a one-for-one basis. So if a GT car drops out, it's a GT car that goes in. If it's a, if it's a prototype, uh, then it's a prototype that goes in, but not Always, sorry, 26th, 12th to the 26th is that reserve list is open. And it remains to be seen whether Glickenhaus put in a speculative uh, entry there for the um, uh, potential of a customer chassis, which they say, given the change of Le Mans, they could build, or at least their chassis builders in Italy and their engine builders, um, the people, motors guys, could uh, could build uh, all the bits that were needed. Would they not then, need to name a driver at that point, though? I don't know for the entry list I, I, for the reserve list. I, I suppose I, I suppose you would have to, but they're only going to put their name on that surely if they know they've got the the five million quid coming and five million euros, uh, and. Uh, and somebody's committed to it. I don't think they're going to build a car on spec. Although you might say they might. This is uh, 003 chassis they're talking about. They, they may well be building 003 as a spare anyway. Mm. So, you know, I'm arguing against myself there. So there's a potential for a speculative entry, or from from what it seems that Jim is suggesting is that they will stand ready should there be any late changes and the ACO needs somebody to fill in. Now, there will be a cut-off date. There has been in the past, um, and tradition dictates, obviously, that people on the um, on the reserve list, particularly those who have been taking part 
in ACO competition will get further up the reserve list, perhaps. Um, and those perhaps who don't have an entry right now, that would be a third Glickenhouse entry. There are other teams who have three already uh, in in fairness. Now, before we move on to the other entries, I'm talking about threes there. Uh, and there's something else that is uh, threes, Tim, that is quite important this year. Uh, yes, we have some three-digit numbers on the entry list. Uh, I think there were three of them, but you thought you'd seen a fourth one. Yes, there's, the two there Glicken, there's the two Glickenhouses, the Rinaldi, Rinaldi Racing and the Ferrari Station. and the Deer Station. And Sheer Adam... In all the time you've been going to Le Mans, working with Haggerty Radio Le Mans and Radio Show Limited, you've never seen three-digit numbers, have you? No, I have not, and I'm not entirely sure how this is going to work with my little book of knowledge. It's going to throw things out completely out the window. <laughs> when was the last time we saw triple-digit numbers? Nick Damon, do you know? No idea. I'm going to guess, uh, let me have a go for it. I'll guess 1998. Ooh, sheer, sheer nose. Uh, Shea, go on, put him out of his misery. It was the year before I started, Nick, 2011. And that was the two Aston Martins, <laughs> 009, oh, 007. Double O's, you're right, I forgot the double O bit. Yes, of course. Uh, LMP2s have 25 cars. The big talking point here, Nick, Risi Competizione, Ryan Cullen and Ollie Jarvis, the two British drivers named uh, on that entry. Uh, do I sniff the... The um, influence of the Scuderia here. Who knows? Um, I, I don't know. There's, it's, it's, there's, there's plenty of uh, other P2s, of course, run by um, AF Corsa, aren't there? So they've got a plenty of chances to have a look around. But I'm sure that the uh, the quality of drivers uh, clamouring to get into the various spare seats that are not in them already in P2 will be uh, will be very high. Uh, only two Ligiers share in the Goodyear Shod LMP2 categories. ERC Bratislava from the WEC and Racing Team India Eurasian are in Carter Kane and Arjun Maini in there. Is that a bit of a, a disappointment? Everything else is Oricas or rebadged Oricas? Uh Yes, uh, I would say it, it was a little bit of a surprise to see a lack of diversity in the class. Um, I, I almost feel like it's a mandatory tire category this year because everyone went with yeah. Goodyear. Yeah. Um, but the, the big question that I have regarding this category, why are there cars listed as Pro-Am? Does that mean we're going to have five podium ceremonies yes. for them all this year? Yes, absolutely. This is this mm. is this is uh, a carryover from what we've seen in the Asian Le Mans series. Um, one of them is uh, Edex Sport with Dwight Merriman, Kyle Tilley, and Ryan DL going back to Le Mans. Uh, that's a. I mean, we've seen those guys racing in IMSA shit, and quite clearly from social media, delighted to get that. That wasn't an automatic invitation. They they got that. They're, they're not a WEC entered. And, and some celebration when that 7-8 car was announced. Yeah, you could hear it from England, couldn't you? Yeah. Uh, Kyle Tilly was bouncing up and down over in Indianapolis. Ryan Dial was celebrating in Central Florida. It's definitely something that they were not necessarily expecting. They were optimistic about. But yeah, Edexport, two cars for Le Mans once again. And uh, this will be Dwight Merriman's uh, first or second attempt to start his first 24 hours Le Mans. He was slated to run it last year. And then, uh, of course, had the accident and was replaced by Patrick Pile, who is in the other Edexport car. Uh, but that one entered as a pro. 
Yeah, um, round about, Nick, uh, half of uh, the entries are pro-am uh, entered, which um, uh, means that there's actually some very good drivers in that, including Jan, Mag- uh, Jan Magnussen, who's with Dennis Anderson in the high-class racing car. Um, that means, I think, that the third driver, unnamed at the moment, has to be a bronze if they're going to stay in uh, in pro-am for that it, it's it's another interest it could be uh it could be couldn't it uh nick a, a little bit of a, a nod to the future here oh, yeah. uh and we've mm. seen it work pretty well in asian le mans series this pro arm yeah it, 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 i think absolutely it's it, it, it's where they're looking to go um with this situation also when you think about where we expect um the top class to be uh in three or four years with anything up to Know, 14 works cars you then you, know, you, you need to have people you know, the, the amateur gentleman drivers they need to have a championship of their own and that's going to be in the p2 with with less professionals probably in in, in the p2 links perhaps just uh feeder teams for the works teams perhaps getting some practice in the uh in that one but uh yeah i mean it's, so just just for clarification in my own mind um is this p pro am uh just a subset of p2 so therefore, there is. It, it's like when we used to have the. I'm led um, to believe there'll be a separate pro- podium. Yeah, but is this like when it, when, when it used to be? Um, we had the uh, non-hybrid cars in P1 mm. who used to get a separate podium, like a, like a gentleman's trophy. I mean, like, but right, they get a separate. They get a separate podium, but is it like a sub podium or it's its own class? That's I mean, because I, I mean, that's going to throw you know, slight what? issues regarding on, the point score, isn't it? Because you've got. It's We've got full wet entries. Some own class. Yeah, I thought not because you think about it, on the wet. If you look about it in, in the wet with the wet car, some are entered in PA and some are entered in PT. But in the wet, they're all in the same thing, aren't they? Yes, I, I think this is a Le Mans specific, but I expect to see this adopted at some stage in the near future uh, in in WEC. Uh, as I said, completely separate classes with the yeah. same car. And I, I even think IMSA. Uh, well, I know IMSA's been looking at this. Uh, as well, United have got three entries, entries uh, not as many as they were entitled to. Uh, one listed as United Sports USA with the very American Phil Hansen, um, a name from over there who's actually from over here. Uh, Fabio Scherer from Switzerland and Philippe Albuquerque from Portugal in the Great Britain entered car, plus two United Autosports car. I think they had six potential entries. Uh, in total, but they were never going to take up uh, all of those. G-Drive for a couple, uh, neither of which are from the WEC, of course, but again, they have been doing some winning. The the key thing there, Nick, is they uh, entered as their nationality is RAF, which is not the Royal Air Force. It's the Russian Automobile Federation because they can't be entered as Russian. No, perhaps just paint the car with a Russian flag instead. Apparently, that's popular these days as well. Um, yes, that's because the FIA signed up to. It the could court also be the flag of Liechtenstein, Nick. Could be. Yes, yeah. but oddly, it's sponsored by a Russian firm. Um, well, they, they well, won't be. They'll be yellow, orange, and black, won't they? So. One thing I do need to say is I'm I am disappointed about one thing, which is, and that there's no Dallara. Yes, well, Dallara racing aren't there. You know, being a, be, there. Being, being a Dallara driver as I am, obviously. Um, <laughs> Uh, moving on to GT, seven GTE pros, Shane, no surprises there. Two Ferraris for AF, uh, two Porsches for the Porsche GT team. They, of course, come from the WEC. The remaining three are all IMSA entries, two Corvette C8Rs and the WeatherTech uh, Cooper McNeil 
uh, entered car, who was uh, racing in Europe last weekend in the Ferrari Mondiale. No surprises in GT Pro then, Shea? No, no surprises. I'm very pleased to see the C8R on the entry list. Finally, Corvette getting to make their debut with the mid-engine car. Um, That's going to be exciting. The two Ferraris with the different driver lineups that were previously announced earlier in the year, uh, Daniel Serra and Miguel Molina sharing the 52 Mm. as it is and not the 71, which we have to remember. Um, But yes, and the Porsches as well. Neil Gianni back in Le Mans, but this time in GT competition. So I believe the last time he ran might have been when he won overall in 16, actually. Yeah, uh, he's driving with Kevin Estridge, Jimmy Bruni with Richard Leitz, and the third drivers to be uh, announced uh, there. Um, Corvette Racing, the calendar changes, the strong suggestion coming out of Corvette Racing is that Spa, the prologue and Spa, they will do but then they will not be back before Le Mans. Originally, they were going to do the first two races, which would have been Portugal and then Spa, but with the date changes, it looks like it's probably going to be just Spa and then turn up for for Le Mans. Um, GTE, um, there is a Chetilar racing in there, Nick Damon, so that'll make you happy, Delara. but they're not in a Delara, because that would be a bit unfair. I'll, in, I'll be in honest with you, it, it's just the Delara that makes me happy. I've nothing against Chetilar racing, but what I love about them is how they've constantly campaigned the Delara, which is which starts with a disadvantage every single race in the P2 class, but they've, they've, they've decided they're going to have a go with the incredibly popular Ferrari 488, which is about 111 by the looks of it. Um, I think there's 12 out of 24. I think there's half... The GTE, uh, you know, people keep talking, Nick, don't they, about GTE being dead uh, when they look at what's happening in in Inza, GT Le Mans. Um, but you know, twenty four cars as it stands in GTE arm, more cars uh, sitting out there ready to go on the reserve list. From what I've been seeing, half of those are Ferraris. Yeah, I mean, they have made, Ferrari have made a very, very good business out of GTE, and if especially working with uh, Amato Ferrari and AF Corsa, they have, you know, cornered the market, they you, effectively have an arrive and drive GTE car, which is, um, uh, ultimately will be very competitive as well, and never, never short of spares, which is which is a plus point. But obviously, the one, the one Ferrari that's particularly taken my, my eye um, is our old friend at Herbert Motorsport, but with the Ferrari. Um, no, sorry, with, that with, must be a misprint. Well, I thought that, but it's a 69 car. Alfred Brunel is named one of the drivers. I expect his brother will, be, will probably be the second driver, and then perhaps one of the guys from the other semi-pro car, which we see at Creventic, will make up the third slot. Welcome to Absolute Racing with Andrew Harianto and uh, Alessio Piccarello. Uh, great to see Ingo Matas' team uh, in with the number 18 car. And there's something key about... I presume about... that Andrew Harriant is the brother of Rio? I think so. He's Indonesian driver, isn't he? Yes. Um, uh, absolute running as, I think, all of the Porsches in Am this year, Sheer. Running the RSR 19, which is significant. Eight, eight of them. Sorry, I was just counting. Um, can't count and think at the same time. Um, mid-engine Porsche, because the 911 RSR-19, um, that's the one with the engine in the new spot. Correct. I didn't realize that there were so many of the mid-engine Porsches in private hands. And the other thing is, spares. How many spares do they have? That could be an issue for the race. Well, Proton uh, got, I think, 
three or four last yeah. last year. Um, but yes, uh, fair fair point. Uh, and before we move on, Inception Racing would normally we normally see Inception running McLarens, don't we? Uh, but they've got their entry and they're running a Ferrari for Brendan Eribet and uh, Ollie Milroy, the silver driver there. And uh, also we've got four Aston Martins, D Station WEC. Um, Aston Martin Racing, which isn't, of course, Aston Martin Racing because they don't have works racing now. That is Paul Delalana's team. Actually, I don't know who's running that team now. I wonder if that's ProDrive that's still running that. Um, and, and then two TF Sports as well uh, running uh, Aston Martin Racing cars. One for John Hartshorn. John um, jumping into TF Sports and the other one for Ben Keating, Dylan Pereira and Philippe for Fra Felipe Fraga. Good to see Pat Long back at Le Mans as well, Shea. Yeah, after his streak came to an end uh, last, no, two years ago, it was uh, 16 starts in a row. So I'm very, very pleased to see Patrick back on the entry list, listed against the 99 for Proton Competition. So that's the four classes, except it's not, because we have a fifth class this year. We do. Tim Greer. Yes. Uh, this is the hydrogen class. Innovative car, apparently. Uh, Running on good years. Um, Association SRT41. This is the Fred Saucer team that they've been working with. They're going to do some selected other races this year, I think, in ELMS, aren't they, as well? And uh, obviously, uh, the drivers uh, are uh, people... um, Picked by Frederick Sose as part of his uh, drive to get uh, people with reduced use of limbs Their into limbs. Yes, good sports point. car racing. Nigel Bailey is a paraplegic uh, former motocross uh, racer. And uh, Takuma Aoki, do you remember Takuma Aoki, Nick? I don't, no. Former bike racer. World Superbike Championship for a couple of years in uh, the 90s and uh, a lot of years in the Japanese equivalent of... It's not called the Japanese Superbike Championship, is it? It's called the um, uh, All Japan All Japan Superbike Championship. Is it Superbike? Well, it's I think the All, you're right. All Japan yeah. Bike Championship, but there's different classes. But he was in the Superbike class of it. Um. Just a, a quick, uh, a quick note. Uh, and obviously, he he uh, sorry uh, became paralysed uh, um, below the waist uh, in 1998. Um, thanks to Johannes Herbeth simply couldn't get a Porsche. Oh, good grief! Uh, they do have previous Ferrari experience. They helped run the HB. Uh, racing Ferrari and ADAC GT. Uh, thank you, Johannes. I had forgotten that. I I would have <laughs> I would have thought as a standard bearer for Porsche, but I suppose if they're only his brother, there, his brothers won you know non-works Porsche driver of the year twice in the last three years or the last mm. four years. Mm. Uh, Sarah Rigby saying I might be super excited and jump at the gun here. Three Aston Martin Vantage. Uh, there's four. There's four. Well, he's jumping the gun. I think they're running the D-Station car as well, though. That's what she's uh, seeing there. I'm pretty certain TF are running 
um, as a joint venture with the D station. So uh, Tom Ferry has got his work cut out uh, with with that. Uh, add Specutainment for your thoughts on that uh, for... Well, that's August. We'll have plenty of time to talk uh, about that. You're listening to uh, Midweek Motorsport at Specutainment, please. It's a Wednesday night, 20 minutes uh, before nine. Before we move on, let's take you forward 24 hours. Uh, and here's Richard Creel to tell you about tomorrow night on the grid. On the grid, you're down under look at the world of motor racing. Truck assist Tickford Racing driver Jack LeBrock is our special guest. Now in his second year with the team, JLB battled hot feet on the mountain, quite literally his feet got burned, but still managed to produce some impressive results, especially on the Saturday of the Supercars season opener. Then we speak to motorsport caller Matt Nolte, who's part of the seven sport team covering this year's Shannon's Motorsport Australia Nationals. We preview S5000, TCR and the return of GT3 racing in Australia with the Fanatec GT World Challenge making its debut this weekend. Then a recap of the incredible Phillip Island Historics, a field of Camping World Truck Series races sponsored by Camping World and much, much more. It's your Aussie dose of motorsport each week only on RS1, 9pm Thursday night, UK time. We hope to join you then. Yeah, very good. Very good. Another pack programme for them. Uh, Tim, do you want to do bike news? I want to do jazz news next. I want to do some bike calendar news. Oh, more calendar bike news. Calendar news. Uh, now, calendar we already news. had a World Superbike calendar, uh, but it had a TBA on it. And we now know that that TBA is going to be the Circuit of Navarra making its debut in the World Superbike Championship uh, and bringing the grand total of races held in Spain to what, Nick? 100,000. It's very close. I think you're you're within the margin of error there. Uh, In fairness, though, at least we've been there, and I think that will be a splendid track for bike racing. What's also happened, of course, is they've, they've, they've pushed the season back again. Yes, because, they because have, um, Estoril has now become a TBC. That's right, because the Portugal rounds now become a TBC, and they're now going to officially start on the 21st or 23rd of May. Mm. Now, given the fact the only reason for Estoril to be a, a TBA is because of the situation with COVID in Portugal, it begs the question why MotoGP still has Portimao on for the 18th of April. Yeah, and that that's only a fortnight after the... Uh, WEC was supposed to have their and, and first event for, there um, three weeks before um, it was supposed to be in Estoril with but with bikes um, yeah so that, that but I think but there's more shuffling about as the back end of the season once again gets busier and busier we're all going to have massively entertaining September October and November again aren't we mm-hmm. well yes. we will but we won't be able to watch everything because it'll all be on at the same time again <laughs> well that's why you have DVRs isn't it um, if, and, and shush, don't tell me anything, and don't look at Twitter. Yeah, uh, uh, so long as BT Sport can actually get oh, there. You see now, now the, the, the vagaries of the Eurosport and BT Sport um, uh, EPGs, that can scupper many a good idea. File it in fiction uh, in the Dewey <laughs> Decimal System. You just have to know just which ones you have to watch live. Yeah, well, And that includes absolutely. World Rally Championship. We have our bikes out on track this week, haven't we, gents? We certainly have. We've had 
three days of testing, no, sorry, two days of testing for MotoGP um, at Losail. They're, they're going to have a little, having a little break, which I think is till, till tomorrow, isn't it? And they're going to have three more days of testing there. Uh, this is, of course, prior to the double header uh, they're starting the season with in Losail, which is um, usually a two-week gap. So the first, the, the first, um, so three-week gap. So the first race is the 28th of March, which oddly is the same day as the first race for F1, and both are now in the Middle East. So someone's going to shuffle their their, their uh, timetables around. Uh, and then they, the following week, so they start with the uh, Grand Prix of Qatar, Qatar, and then have the Grand Prix of Doha. So they get two off in, in Qatar um, in the first uh, couple of weeks of the season there for MotoGP. And yeah, so we had uh, a chance to see uh, all the bikes out. Um, some bikes, some new riders. We got to see Valentino Rossi on in the Petronas uh, version of the Yamaha. We got to see uh, Paul Espargaro uh, in the in the on the. Um, uh, Honda, and we got to see a lot of speculation that Mark Marquez is definitely going to come back for the first round, which is a month away, um, even though he's he, they're still very worried about his bone graft. So someone either needs to calm the press down or calm him down. But what was the funniest thing about the whole week? I don't know. What was the funniest week? It was Jorge Lorenzo. Jorge. Jorge Lorenzo, who's decided to now be sitting on the sidelines like Waldorf and Statler, criticising people from the, from the, from the box. Hmm. <laughs> And being shot down by just about everybody else, so he had a go- Cal Crutcher fell off. You remember that um, he was very upset that Cal Crutcher got the test ride rather than him at the end of last year. Crutcher fell off again, and uh, Lorenzo went, "Well, that's no surprise there. I told you he'd do that." And uh, then the Jack Miller shot back saying, "It's far more important to be a good person than a world champion." <laughs> really? And then, and then Alicia Spargo also had a go at Lorenzo for being a bit of a, 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 a dig. So. Um, uh, Lorenzo then copy and pasted his Wikipedia page showing he hadn't won a race in 17 years. <laughs> and I was sitting there thinking, this is fantastically petty. This is, this is, I don't, you know, I, this is, honestly, you've won five world championships. You don't need to do this, Jorge. You're just making yourself look really, really petty. But it's great for us. Yes. Um, let's talk. Can we talk aero? And this is yeah. aero on bikes has been yeah. a hot topic over the last few years with tea trays, no tea trays, uh, rear wheel coolers. <laughs> Did we believe that one? Um, and Ducati are at it again with some very clever aerodynamic devices that do a number of things. It's generally expected, uh, uh, accepted, Nick, that aero on the top class of motorbikes is not as well developed as the aero on most racing cars. Well, Ducati, using their relationship with Audi and the Audi wind tunnel, are, are trying to change that. Yeah, I mean, the the issue is is that you, as everyone always says, to make aero work, you need to, the more stable the platform you have, the better your aerodynamic concept is going to work because you're presenting the same angle to the wind the whole time. Hence the reason, you know, even in a small amount of yaw, you can lose a lot of downforce in an F1 car where it, was, where it was very, very important to put a rally car in the wind tunnel at an angle as much as putting it straight. Of course, with a uh, motorbike, it's even more difficult you know, because things leading left and right and everything else. So 
for a long time, aerodynamics was nothing more than a slippery shape around the uh, around the around the cowling, just to just to reduce your frontal area. And then, because you say Ducati took it to a whole new world with 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 you know, different left and different right hand winglets depending on the track. Um, and then that all got banned. Um, because, but now it's kind of creeping back in again because because as any good aerodynamics is, they're looking at the areas where they're allowed to work, the boxes which they can put stuff in, and that's what Ducati are doing. They've they've already done a couple of. Um, Wheel covers, which are which they've said are just to help for cooling, but obviously are actually designed for airflow. That's more for for drag reduction. Mm. And now there's a lot more um, wings appearing once again. Some some for pure downforce. Um, that was what the Aprilia was sporting new wings. And Alessio Spargo actually said that one of the reasons his lap times tailed off towards the end of of um, the day in testing was the the bike was so much more physical with the wing on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the more interesting one is. What Ducati are doing, which is which is really is uh, which is using this bottom area, the front, the, the leading edge of the fairing where it would be, to to look at creating what they're effectively doing is is not actually trying to create downforce. From it. what they're trying to do is manipulate the air in such a way they can reuse drag. So because there's two things you can do. Obviously, if the air is all spilling around and being all random, it's much more draggy than if it's flowing in the correct direction. So rather than actually trying to get the bike sucked down, what they're actually trying to do is make it much cleaner. So at that point, yeah. they get extra miles an hour of top speed. Yeah, but the other thing is they've worked out that as soon as you get over about 40, 45 degrees of lean, those bits at the bottom of the wheel around the bottom of the discs are so close to the road that you can actually generate downforce out of them and and have a negative pressure area and have the bike when it's on its side sucked down onto the road i mean this is this is extraordinary stuff it's got absolutely a lot of the manufacturers aren't interested in it, Nick, because it's got absolutely no use for road bikes but it, it's yeah. it's really cutting edge stuff isn't it it, it, in realistically, in a prototype racing series, which MotoGP is, it should be allowed. However, it is a black hole of spending that does that does nothing to improve the racing nor make the bikes look more road relevant. So you can see why was it two or three years ago they, they, they slapped a ban on a lot of the development. And so now they're just working in grey areas. But I mean, I'm sure that if you actually sat down and, and somebody you know, with, with F1 levels of money um, really looked at the aerodynamics of a motorbike, they could almost certainly find you 10 miles an hour and in the straights and the corners by manipulating the air it'll cost you multi-million dollars to get it mm. and then everyone will copy you but you know that, that's the point i mean i think that's what they're trying to avoid but it is really really interesting how these little areas are being worked finally um yeah i mean i think it's it's uh, it's, it's it'd be interesting how many of course the point about this course that they can stick anything they like on these bikes during testing yeah because they're not homologated, and that will uh, happen until the first race. So some of these things may not turn up on on race day, and which is be disappointing because it's great to see as many bits as possible as we can. Yes, uh, Ducati played that game last year, didn't they? They didn't necessarily come with everything to start with. They may be just doing a bit more work in Bologna. I think we'll probably get Dex on in the next couple of weeks um, to have a bit more delve into uh, this uh, and as the. As people immensely more clever than us uh, have had a look at it. Midweek Motorsport, uh, just after 10 minutes to 9, Series 16, Episode 10. Add spectatainment, please. Uh, Tim Gray has some jazz motorsport news. I do, because they've announced the fourth and final member of their uh, driver development programme for 2021 with Erwin Zanotti, the uh, former uh, Italian Formula 4 and UAE Formula 4 
Uh, racer teaming up with Reese Barr, Jack Young, and Jacopo Guidetti. Uh, all of them will be driving uh, Honda NSX GT3 Evos somewhere this year, where has not yet been announced. Uh, but the man behind the Jazz Motorsport Driver Development Program is uh, someone who we know quite well because he's raced at Le Mans and in the World Endurance Championship before. That is Marco Bonanomi. And earlier in the week, John had a chance to talk to him. This started already nearly three years ago. Yes. Uh, the time is running so fast. <laughs> and um, yeah, it started as a, as a test. Actually, the first test was uh, quite, uh, quite nice and quite uh, unique because uh, I got a call from uh, Alessandro Mariani. And uh, suddenly ask, uh, hey, do you know North Life? I say, yes, of course. <laughs> okay, next week we go to North Life. First time in the NSX uh, and so on. So it was a great experience. And uh, one of the best track for me in the world. And uh, so from that, uh, I started a cooperation and, and work together on developing the car uh, to, to the Evo version, to the Evo spec and uh, and then was able to do some races in a gtc mm. and then um, and then now in the recent um, in the present i'm also part of the project of the new ddp uh, driver development uh, program uh, so i'm quite busy with, right now with that and uh, everything looking good and uh, we are really really focused and really charged for the for the season your role then as a development driver, because there'll be a lot of people listening to this, even some people who understand about motorsport, I hope, people who listen to this show, who will look at GT3 and say, right, well, GT3 is a balance of performance category. So why do you need an Evo? Why do you need someone like Marco to develop your car? Because ultimately, they're all going to be near or near enough after balance of performance so what what is your role what are you looking for when you are out there testing simply to make the car faster but not only for a lap but gt true that the bop is um it's a big part of the game in the championship but it's everywhere uh, nowadays in the cha- in uh, every kind of championship with different categories but on the other side, I have to say SRO, and uh, they are really good on that to to make uh, more balance as possible between one car to another. And they cha- they created also actually a few years ago uh, BOP for uh, every different tracks. So that makes sense, uh, and you can see uh, through the races that uh, there are different uh, winners every time as a as a manufacturer. So I think it's quite uh, fair for everybody at the moment. Do you sometimes have to almost forget that you're a professional racing driver? Because part of GT3 is that old guys, unfit guys, who don't drive very much sometimes, like me, (laughs) are driving these cars. And what I might want out of your Honda NSX Evo is something that I feel comfortable with, something that I could feel confident uh, with yes. very quickly with not much time in the car. That's not necessarily what a pro racing driver wants, is it? Yeah, it's true. Uh, what you're seeing is, is, uh, is the reality. Actually, uh, you know, on one side, the GT3 uh, category also made uh, 
to make uh, the gentleman or the, the driver that coming from different category to make it comfortable straight away. And that uh, is the feeling that you get uh, when you when you jump in the car, especially in the in the Honda is uh, I think is one of the more comfortable that give you really a good feeling straight away out of the pit. That's uh, what uh, the, the general comment is when they drive the car. And um, so uh, on this side is good for the GT3 category. On the other side, yes, a professional driver is, uh, is like into a new challenge because uh, sometimes, yeah, the cars can be harder uh, to understand and to drive it to the limit. Uh, but GT3 makes uh, everybody, every kind of drivers all together. So um, it's a challenge also for us as a professional to to beat everybody all the time and to be on the on the top pace uh, um, in this kind of cars. But I think in a longer distance, like in a full stint or double stint uh, during a um, 24-hour race, uh, you can see clearly uh, the difference. Yeah, that comes down to consistency and being able to repeat, which is what you guys uh, do yes. seemingly with ease. And I, I take my hat off to you. I don't know how you, you manage to do that. Do you, do you enjoy racing the GT3 cars? There's there's a lot of driver raids on there for the same reasons we've talked about, so that people like me can get in and feel comfortable. ABS, traction control, both getting more and more sophisticated. As a, as a pro yeah. driver, I know that, you would probably say, I'd, you know, maybe I'd, I'd rather not have ABS because then you feel you can make a difference. Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, true. I still, I, I love to drive the GT3. It's always a nice feeling in every condition you get uh, in, the, in the track. But uh, yes, it's true that I will, uh, if I could choose, I uh, will go without ABS and so on, uh, without electronic uh, helps that, uh, you know, make everybody... Uh, to squeeze uh, in, in terms of uh, of performances. Bit of development driving, as you've said, getting ready for the 2021 season, Marco. Are we going to see yeah. you back at the Nürburgring, Nordschleifer, maybe do some of the, what's it called now? I was going to call it VLN, NLS. Or are we going to see you in some of the European Championships? Where will we see that famous helmet colour? VLN, VLN, I would love to do it, but uh, actually it's not on the on the programme for, for Honda right now. Uh, actually, we are we are looking and we are focused on the um, on the Italian GT in the um, SIS and uh, with an over race, which is the new team uh, plus uh, GT Open with Renault Race, Renault Racing, and uh, there are some cars also around uh, Germany, ADAC GT Master. Mm-hmm. On my side, still um, still looking for the development of the car. We have. Uh, some good uh, um, schedule with the testing right now to a couple of days every three three weeks I would say mm-hmm. so not too bad and I'm waiting uh, also my um, to understand uh, where I can go and where I can uh, uh, sit inside the car in, maybe in the Italian, Italian championship GT3 is is global, and that's the beauty of yeah. it. And now, of course, DTM has gone to GT3 uh, regulations as well for at least a couple uh, of seasons. Is there an opportunity yeah. for you and for, for Honda there, perhaps? Well, I heard uh, there was some discussion between uh, Mr. Berger and uh, and Yas and, and so on. Sure, there were. Uh, 
<laughs> that would be that would would be very great. I mean, uh, it's nice that DTM uh, switched to to GT3. Uh, I still have to understand the rules, the regulation, because uh, you know it's always a GT3 cars, but maybe without BOP. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a shame that uh, what I can see is a shame a little bit that the DTM have to have to change uh, driving uh, race cars back. Because uh, I had the pleasure to drive it, uh, uh, the, the the Audi uh, in the days, and were just amazing car, uh, very very similar or example like same pace as a Super GT that also was able to to test it. So this kind of uh, level of of speed uh, is uh, it's like a proto prototype speed. And um, nowadays, okay, GT3. I don't know. I have I honestly I have to see how is going on the the DTM uh, things, but why not? Uh, Yas is always open to uh, to multi multi programs. Uh, yes. It always have to be um, a confirmation also from Japan, of course. Mm-hmm. If not, uh, they cannot do uh, so many things alone. It's is always an option. I don't know maybe the, this year, but uh, let's see how it how it goes and maybe there is an option for the next uh, Mark well thanks for joining yeah. us on Midweek Motorsport best of luck for the season thanks a lot uh, yeah busy with the drivers program so let's keep in touch and, and see some some winning and uh, brand new Tyler's long one with Marco Bonanomi coming later this month here on RS1 <laughs> Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's Midweek Motorsport, and here's what's coming up. Uh, add spec entertainment for your tweets, please, on what Marco Bonanomi said about DTM. Just DTM with uh, NSXs. Yeah, you'd take a bit uh, of that, wouldn't you? Uh, Shea will be back with us, as will Nick. Shea is going to be talking about IMSA. Uh, we've done a little bit of their calendar news. The entry list for all of the Sebring Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring races are out. So we'll be rushing through them as well as uh, various news stories in the next uh, hour of the programme. And don't forget, coming up straight after us tonight, it's Maybe Historic Racing News. On RadioLeMond.com. Uh Yes, you nearly got to the end of that without talking over Nearly. Nearly. Uh, it's time now for our big interview, and uh, a slightly different subject this week, isn't it, John? Well, Tim, if you cast your mind back to last week, you will remember that one of our regular listeners, Matt Ending, couldn't listen live, and in fact uh, sent us apologies for absence. He's <clears> since caught up on the uh, on the podcast, of course, as many people, on the archive, as many people have. The reason being that Matt was at a, a very interesting meeting about the future of scrutineering here in the UK, that scrutineering the, the means by which... Um, machinery that is going racing or rallying or com- competing some in, in Motorsport UK events, sanctioned events, are deemed to be safe and legal. And uh, we swapped a couple of tweets and private messages uh, after that. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to get Matt on the show. Matt, first of all, thank you for joining us. You're fitting well? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, no, I'm um, <clears throat> doing very well. So I'm looking forward to getting out on some events, hopefully next month. 
So tell me a little bit about this new look at scrutineering. Uh, brought on, I suspect, by the need, the opportunity to look at things slightly differently. None of us like change. <laughs> none of us like <laughs> none of us yeah. like change. But we've we've had to look at things differently. And the Motorsport UK have taken the the opportunity of COVID to review actually quite a lot of their procedures and why not scrutineering? So, so what, first of all, give us the thought behind, behind what you were talking about last week, which I know is a continuation of what was going on last year. Um, so yeah, last year in Motorsport UK events, um, physical scrutineering couldn't really take place because of the COVID-19 restrictions. So therefore, um, the they use this opportunity to uh, review how scrutinizing takes place, which for those who don't know, is normally a five or six minute quick look around the car by a licensed scrutineer who then moves on to the next car, next car, which when you have 60, maybe 100 cars plus at the beginning of the event in the morning to look at is a fast and mm. furious process. Um, and that hasn't always been thought to be the most productive way of doing it. And they know from um, work with other ASNs around the world that um, they do it in slightly different ways. Um, and that's what was brought into uh, scrutineering last year, where the scrutineers wouldn't have, you know, 100 cars lined up in a long queue, which would also lead to social distancing problems. The idea was that the organisers would select about 20 percent of the competitors' cars to be more in-depth scrutineers. Um, and then uh, it'd be checked in a more detailed way over a longer time period. So that's probably going to continue into uh, this year and probably throughout this year, um, given the COVID restrictions we have. Um, but the part of the work that Motorsport UK wanted to do for a while now, I think, is to look at improving the, the process of scrutineering. And I think reminding competitors of the fact that the process really should start with them um, and then yes. chasing the cars before the event. Um, because really the scrutinies are there to check that the competitor has done the checks themselves. So that is um, where this is coming from. So they won't be um, part of it will be a competitor education program that will go out supporting this. Um, and there won't be any real hidden parts on this. The idea will be that uh, scrutiny and this will be at all levels of events that Motorsport UK cover. Um, obviously, for some events, it will be quite a light touch. For some detailed historic race events, it's going to be quite a detailed process. Yeah. It's going to, it will vary from event to event. Um, but the organisers will send out in advance a checklist to competitors and their scrutineers so they're both working off the same uh, check sheet. The competitor, the idea being that they'll go around the car beforehand, check that the lights work, the brakes work, the rain light works, whatever it is on the check sheet, so that when they do get called up, in theory, nothing should be a surprise. Um, and that's well, isn't that are. really how it should have been working already, Matt? Because, you know, if I think back to my very modest circuit racing and before that rallying um, competitive experience, those were the sort of things you'd do before you put the car on the trailer or you're, you're headed to to the event. It's, I mean, it's a bit like with the COVID crisis, you're reminding people they've got to wash their hands when they, they come in from outside. We should have been doing doing that already. And in, in, in many respects, from the safety side of things, we absolutely, the competitors should have been doing that already because otherwise they were just going to waste time at the track when somebody pointed out that a seat mount wasn't quite right or 
you know, that was loose, or where's your second throttle um, close spring, and that sort of thing. Surely that that should have been getting done already, shouldn't it, by the competitor? I, I... Yeah, and you know we'd like to think that that has been happening, but you know we you know we sometimes forget things or um, competitors you know are in a hurry um, and just want to get out there and enjoy the sport, which is what we're here for. Um, so yeah, this is uh, I, this is as much a competitor, and I'm using that phrase because I come from an education background, but it is about educating competitors and scrutineers who would be trained on this as well about the fact that you know the responsibility for the car safety lies with the competitor. It's their job to present a safe car for that event that is and it's suitable for that type of event they're entering. Um, so there's a reminder of that. Um, but also, hopefully, that will then lead to safer cars all round. You know, the scrutinies in some ways may not need all of their allocated 15, maybe 20 minutes to go around the car and check things because they'll realise, actually, they've done X, Y, Z. Um, and therefore, there's not that time needed. Um, so, yes, hopefully... Over the long, you know, long, you know, this is, you know, not something that's going to be put in place um, overnight. Um, so if people are worried that this is going to come in overnight, it's a, it's a planned program to be brought in probably over the next 12, 18 months. But it does help us get back to racing even again this year in 2021. There, there will be people that will immediately, uh, and the cynic in me does this too, say that people could take the lend here, people could try to take advantage of this. There's two aspects to scrutineering, isn't there? Yeah. There's the safety aspect, which I hope any competitor would never want to compromise on. But there's also an, uh, an eligibility aspect of this yeah. as well. And that's going to be... You know, in a single manufacturer series, in a single make series, uh, at club level, that's going to be at, at one level. Um, as you mentioned, it's something like a, an historic series where you have things like FIA passports and stuff like that, that's going to be at another. But we're not talking about taking away post-race scrutineering here, are we? No, the eligibility side of things which happens after a race or after a rally, um, you know, after the final stage, that will continue and that will continue as it has done. That is not changed. And actually, even during the COVID process, the uh, scrutineering um, side of things very quickly put in processes to allow that to happen. I was at Leiden Hill last year um, looking at some of the um, post uh, rallycross race, uh, you know, eligibility checking that was going on. And that was just like it would always been. Um, yes, there was more distance and you had to stay away from each other. But otherwise, that is all continuing onwards. Um, so, yes, that side of the things will continue onwards. Um, and also, I suspect in those in that longer slot that, you know, scrutinies have, they will have a that, you know, once they've done the basic checks of the safety of the lights and bits of brakes and all the other bits and pieces, that's when they'll be able to drill, drill down in, in inverted commas here and look to see, oh, well, what is hidden under there? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's that about? Or what? It, yeah. So. In some ways, yes, a competitor could take a chance, you know, think, well, only 20 percent. Oh, I won't put back in that, you know, that weight or, you know, if it's, you know, a ballast series or, you know, um, you know, put part back in a piece of trim if it's in a road rally or something. Mm. Well, yes, you could get away with it. But you remember, it's a game of odds here. At some point, you're going to get called and you'll get called up for a more in-depth check. And that's when you'll get found out. Well, um, and particularly if you get a decent result, because everybody will be pointing at you, quite frankly, because exactly. there's nobody that there's nobody better yeah. at pointing out who's who's not um, strictly abiding by the rules or who are um, 
interpreting them somewhat differently than your competitors in the paddock. I can tell you, well, yeah. I can tell you that whether it's true yeah. or, or not. Yeah, competitors are probably the best people to spot when something isn't right, um, and then pass that on, whether that's through official channels or a slight word with an official about, oh, you ought to go and have a look at so-and-so. Yes, I have got one question to ask, and it's a question that's plagued our sports in many forms down through the years. I presume that certain things, though, will have to be done on every car, things like the dreaded noise test. Yes, noise test will still continue, and actually, under COVID, was never stopped um, because you know you can be, you can easily do it within the work that the technical technical team were going to do was looking at drive by testing um, and introducing that as well as the static test because we know the static test, although is very useful, does have its limitations. Yes, indeed. Um, I, I saw a smashing thing at Silverstone for one of the ha- uh, historic meetings that I went, one of the few times I was trackside last year, and I did second box there. Bradley and I uh, went down there with Peter Snowden. And the, the scrutiny is there at the back, and we were working out of the, the, the main pits, the Formula One pits, um, the wing. And we were talking to competitors at a... Actually, I think we were in between full lockdowns there, but although we were still all masked up. And we were looking yeah. at cars. And the scrutineers had um, laminated plastic car, cards that, that they were flicking up in front of people as they came through so they didn't have to shout through the windows. And yeah. it, it is simple things like that, though, that can make a huge difference. And I thought, that's a brilliant idea. And, and this really... Is, is just another stage of that to make sure that when people do want to go out and race or rally or compete, do water tests, whatever, there might be quite a lot of people want to do it. I suspect there will be, having been locked down for a while. Well, yes. So, so this just lets everybody get back on track on rally stage quicker. Yes, it does. Um, and I know, you know, some of the events I did last year, you know, in some ways it takes off the pressure at the beginning of the event. And quite a lot of competitors I spoke Good to point. liked the fact that there isn't this, you know, you're not queuing for half an hour to get your card checked and then you go and you're kind of worrying, will I, you know, get through? Yes, some people have to go for that process, but it's only a certain proportion. Yeah. Um, the rest. In- also, you get a bit more time in bed, to be honest, and I always quite like that, or a better breakfast. I would wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with that. <laughs> So when are you going to be out? First of all, thank you very much for, for coming on and talking about this, Matt, because I know you sit on... Uh, what we should say is, is Matt isn't just um, talking second-hand here. You actually sit, Matt, on quite a number of, of, of technical uh, and other committees for Motorsport UK, don't you? Yes, yeah. I sit on the Motorsport UK Rallies Committee. I also chair the Autocross Rallycross Subcommittee and uh, also go to the Speed Committee, which covers quite a wide range of our varied sport. So, yes, um, and it's through that work on those committees that um, I've been helping develop some of the resources behind this. You know, I always give a big shout to the Marshals, and I'm very honoured to be an ambassador of the British Motor Racing Marshals Club. Um, we, we should always say, and I do try and remember to say, that the other officials as well, including scrutineers and all the technical officials, um, they also have to be around to make motor racing work. So thank you very much for all of that hard work that you do in in your own time. How We've had the announcement, and this is sort of going slightly off track before we finish with you, but we've had the announcement about things coming back to normal at the end of end of March, beginning of April, and things starting to come back to life again from karting all the way all the way through. How do we think it's looking? I mean, the uh, Motorsport UK have taken some really rather sensible 
uh, actions in certainly national level licenses. Uh, people have been given a discount if they they renewed because they couldn't race or rally as much last year. Um, the medical certificates have been carried over for national, not for for international or FIA license. I hear some too hard, so I've still got to get my medical done. Um, how how is 2021 looking in terms of of what you're hearing, not just from Motorsport UK, but of course you're talking on all those committees to a variety of of organising bodies, clubs, and indeed license holders. Um, I think there's a real, and it's not going to come as any surprise here, a real pent up demand for wanting to do motorsports. Yes. You know, that, you know, I think we're all going to want to get out and do whatever we were doing beforehand. Um, so, yes, you know, I've been lucky to get entries into a couple of events in April. But, you know, we had to be there on the dot of the opening of entries to oh, really? ensure you could get them. And, you know, the both events we're doing in April, um, you know, are already full um, and I've got a running reserve list. So there is a real demand to get out there um, and get back to having fun in cars, which is what this sport is all about. Can't wait for it all to get back underway. Matt, Matt Ending, joining us on Midway Motorsport. Matt, thanks very much indeed. Keep up the good work. And will you pass on our best, please, to all of your colleagues on the various committees on which you sit for Motorsport UK and all of your competitive friends as well? Will do. Thanks a lot. Matt Ending there. Uh, don't forget, after Midweek Motorsport tonight, it's uh, part two of the Historic Racing News American Le Mans Series special uh, with Paul Tarsi joined by Johnny O'Connell, uh, Graham Tyler, Joe Bradley and Jim Roller. And we are going back to uh, more modern American racing now because Shay <laughs> is uh, back with us. Hello. Hello. Yes. She needs Excellent. a prompt there. No, indeed. Um, we haven't talked with you for a little while. You haven't been on because, in, in fairness, it's been relatively, and I, and I say this year, relatively quiet on the IMSA front. And it's exploded since last week's show. And most of the stories are Porsche related. So I think we should start with the uh, new for 2021 Porsche Carrera Cup North America. Uh, absolutely extraordinary amount of news coming out of it. And the entry list is nothing short of phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you haven't been hearing the whispers around this series for the last couple of weeks, um, I don't really blame you because the whispers have been quite internal but now they are screaming and they are yelling and it is for the whole world to know 35 cars for the first weekend of the porsche carrera cup north america which takes place at sebring not this coming weekend but the weekend after that and they've just completed a two-day test at sebring right um did you did you see who was fastest but let's, that, we'll John? get to that in a minute because i want to go okay. through some of the news so 35 cars of which 23 are the brand new for 2021 Porsche 992 Cup cars. Uh, All wide body cars, uh, new specification uh, on the bodywork, on the wheels, everybody running on Michelin tyres. Split into two classes, the Pro and the Pro Am classes. And then the remaining 12 entries are in uh, for, I think, this year only... Correct. What's called a pro-am category for the old 991 Gen 2 
categories. And I, I'll, I'll start there because there's a couple of, of names here that people will spot. And Ted Giovannis is going to jump in uh, into this with Team TGM run by ACI Motorsports in the 64 car. Uh, relevant number for Ted, but we won't say any more than that. Ted's driven one of these cars before and he's, and he's done it to great effect. Yes, he has. He's been running in a series uh, this last year, and apologies for not knowing the name of the series, but they did run at venues such as Sebring, and Ted wound up actually winning that championship uh, with Hugh Plum as his co-driver through that and coach. He's a guy who's run in single-make series in the past. He's done Ferrari Challenge. He's got experience as far as that is concerned, but Porsches have always held a special place in Ted's heart. Now, this is not being done in place of the Chevy Camaro program. Ah, It is important to announce this will be a dual program for Ted. So he's not only running in the Carrera Cup, but he is still running in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. Um, It's, an as I say, it's an extraordinary entry uh, list. And the news that has been coming out has been coming thick and fast. We could probably fill a program. And indeed we will, because we will be having a, a, a Porsche Carrera Cup North America a preview program in the next week or so before we cover it live in Sound and Vision at Sebring. Um, right, let's go through some of these. Then. JDX. JDX have been busy signing people up. <laughs> uh, a couple of entries confirmed for Carrera Cup North America, including, and this will make your uh, heart happy, uh, a rising Canadian star. Yes, I'm very pleased to see Parker Thompson with a full-season effort, uh, one of two Porsches for JDX Racing in the pro category. They also have one in the pro and class for Tim Pappas. So the two-time GTC champion back from the good old ALMS days previewing ahead to that show coming up next. Uh, we've got Tim Pappas running in the series as well. So JDX, busy off-season, but they've got three cars, including Sean McAllister, who really could make a dent in things. Yes, three cars. I, I, yes, I, I had miscounted that. However, nothing comes close to Kelly Moss Road and Race. Kelly Moss Racing, um, with five new-gen cars and two of the 991.2s. Unbelievable. They know how to win championships. Kelly Moss Road and Race has proven it over the last few years. And under the uh, direction of Jeff Stone, they have proven to be the people to try and take down. So if you can't beat them, join them. We've got a couple of situations in that. Still have Alan Metney back once again with iFly Racing, as it's now called, and Kelly Moss in the 99 for the Pro-Am listing. Renee Robichaud joining in the Pro-Am class. But then... We come up to the pro category, and this is where things get really interesting. Sebastian Carrazzo, once again, back for another season of racing in the green and orange Porsche, this time the 992, and man, it looks good. I've seen pictures of it. We've got Kai Van Berlo running the Netherlands driver, which is going to be, you know, an asterisk for championship contender. But the one that has the most interest, as far as I'm concerned, Seb Priu running for Multimatic in a Multimatic liveried Porsche being run by Kelly Moss Road and Race. The team knows how to win championships. Seb knows how to win championships. And now why would Multimatic have interest in Porsche? Hmm, uh, that stems a bit of interest. Mm, uh, very much in. Dave, we'll come back to uh, Seb in a moment. Uh, Hardpoint EBM, that's El Bamba Motorsport couple of entries there and a couple again that have to be looked at very carefully. 
For sure, especially after last season where we saw some brilliant driving from Efren Castro in a late charge toward the Gold Cup Championship. He is running with Team Hardpoint EBM in car number 65. This one, it looks phenomenal when you see it uh, up close. I've only seen the pictures, but wows, it, it takes your breath away. And then the other car, a little bit of interest because for the last couple of seasons, we've had Riley Dickinson running for more speed. He has switched teams, and he's run with Earl Bamber Motorsport in uh, Career Cup Asia. He's done a couple of starts off there, and Earl has been his coach since he joined in Porsche Racing. So it's not really a surprise, but the surprise is that Speed still is on the grid. So now Riley is having to go up against his old team. Uh, I mean, you could go through that whole grid and pick out every one of them, and we will have a word for them, won't we? <laughs> we uh, do the countdown. Fair play to uh, fair play to Porsche Motorsport North America and to Porsche Motorsport Visak for, for getting 23 cars to the US. That's actually two or three more than I expected. If you think back to the back end of last year, or middle of last year, when we had Dr. Daniel Ambruster on IMSA Radio, he was hopeful to get 15 to 20, so they've easily uh, surpassed that. There was testing uh, earlier on this week, the first time those 992 cars had actually been out. And the fastest driver of all of them, who do you think it was? The Sebastian Prio. That would be correct. No doubt inspired by being on this show a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, he felt the pressure. He couldn't let us down. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, I'm looking forward to that, and we will have all of those uh, events, as as I mentioned, live in Sound and Vision. No blocks or breaks, whether in the US, further afield. Uh, we will have those for you. Um Let's have a quick whiz through the entry list for what will be the Alan J Automotive 120 at Sebring. This is the uh, IMSA uh, Michelin Pilots Challenge with 20 entries in Grand Sport GT4 and uh, 15 in touring cars. That's impressive. Uh, with that, very happy to, to see those numbers. 35 in total. Uh, what stands out for you? For the first time in a very, very, very long time, I didn't have to add a sheet of paper, meaning that there wasn't a team running in this race that wasn't at one of the previous races in the year, which in this case was just Daytona. So it means that everyone who is involved in this race, potentially mm. championship contenders, which is something that I find really interesting. Um, but in terms of GS, the one car that stands out for me was the one that actually didn't take the green flag during that race, right? Motorsport. Remember, mm. Ryan Hardwick had a massive crash before the race, and yeah. it actually wound up taking him out of the Rolex 24 hours a day on a, a concussion-like symptoms. So I'm interested to see if Wright had to procure a new Cayman GT4 club sport because from the pictures I saw, the one that came off the track, it was, well, thoroughly totaled. Uh, the Toyota GT4, again, with uh, Javier Queros and Alfredo Negri. Um, that is going to be a fan favourite, I think, down uh, at Sebring. New BMW M4 uh, GT4s uh, as well. Uh, in there uh, and in TCR well who can beat the Velosters uh, I suppose but nice to see ah. the number 17 car back with the sequential gearbox Audi RS3 for the newly named Unitronic JDC Miller Motorsports pairing of Chris Miller and Mikey Taylor 
yes, well, who can beat the Velocitors? It was that Audi at Daytona mm. that did win. And the year prior, they'd come in second at Daytona and then were not present for the rest of the season. Interesting that only two Audis on the grid total, the other belonging to Roadshagger Racing, and both of them with the sequential gearbox. So mm. there is some change going on in Audi world. Uh, and again, we'll have coverage for that on IMSA Radio. And for the international uh, listeners, we'll have sound and vision for that race as well. The timetables have been uh, published now as well. And Tim has been very good to update our schedules, with you, which you can put on your own personal calendars, either on imsaradio.com or radio-show.co.uk. The big show is the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, presented by Advanced Auto Parts. Uh, Seven entries for Daytona prototypes, five for Le Mans uh, LMP2s, six for LMP3s, uh, five for... GT Le Mans, are you seeing this we're going? And four for GT, no, not at all. And 13 <laughs> for GT uh, Daytonas. It's like four, because uh, it's a one and a three, which you can add together. Uh, very good. Exactly. Uh, any any major uh, any major things standing out for you there, Shea? Uh Yes. In terms of GTD, the biggest story has to be that the Sun Energy 1 Mercedes is back. Uh, ah, they yes. were undecided if they were going to come and run Sebring. Finished second at Daytona, so it is another round of the championship for Kenny Hubble that's and Mikhail Grenier. Yeah, that's run by Gradient, isn't it? And they did such yes. a good job that I, 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 I believe, and I, I may be speaking out of turn here, but I, I believe that they did such a good job that they're back, and we'll wait to hear it's their their announcement to make what other races they'll be doing for for the year. But what an audition they had coming second at Daytona for that that nascent team. Yes, and they have been joined by Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona winner this year, Mauro Engel. Yes. So I'm very Smart excited hire. to get Mauro back. He's only run Sebring once before. That was in a PC car back in 2016, and that was not a fun weekend for him. Uh, team Hardpoint, EBM, has split up into two cars as well. That's another big story as far as GTD is concerned. We do have a girl car and a boy car, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> the girls have been put in car number 88, which was the car that ran at Daytona, which means that if team hardpoint ebm is going to win a team championship it's going to come from that car and not the car driven by the two team owners rob ferriel and earl bamber because they have shifted over to the 99 that car did not run at daytona scored zero points and therefore will not be able to win the team championship so very interesting the still, uh, still the, waiting to find out who's gonna uh join christina and and cat leg in that the the third driver yeah. tbd at the moment do we have a steer on that shit Yes, yeah, we know who it is. Um, well, well tell uh, me. I know who it is, but you, no, no. All right. Um, it's, uh, it's going to be somebody who's very familiar and drove with the girls a couple of years ago, okay. uh, so there will be no surprises there. All right, okay. Um, good to see a decent uh, entry in LMP2 again. I know it's only five cars, but, you know, people want to come and do uh, these races, Ben Keating in there uh, again. So he's with uh, Michael Jensen and Scott Huffaker. Uh, GT Le Mans, no surprises there. No Reese, which I think one or two people were hoping that Reese might turn up for the longer races. But BMW have got something to prove in GT Le Mans. They for sure do, and and Sebring has been a very difficult track for them in recent years. It's been all the way back to the ALMS since they last found victory at uh, Sebring International Race, but as a matter of fact. Oh, and we just lost you for a moment there. 
Have you muted With yourself? only the Wait endurance back. races on the, the calendar this year, it's going to be a long time before we see them again. WeatherTech Racing uh, finally announced their two drivers, figured it was going to be Jam Jam because he was at the track testing with Cooper a couple of weeks ago. But Matty Campbell has been brought up from the FAF Porsche in which mm. he was driving at Daytona. And now he's in the WeatherTech Racing car for the Enduro. Uh, I just wanted to, but actually, because we got a question earlier on about why Guy Smith, his um, his nationality is a question mark. Uh, that's Jim McGuire, Wayne Boyd, bronze, silver, and Guy Smith still a gold in the 22. This is United Autosports in their Orica here. Correct. So this is a car that did not run at Daytona, but of course, championships start at Sebring Good for point. LMP2 and LMP3. So this really gives us more of a feeling of who's going to be in it for the full season, although United Autosport clearly looking for a Sebring win. Uh, but very stiff competition for sure coming in. Wayne Boyd proved to be a bit of a superstar at Daytona, and Guy Smith needs no introduction, particularly around Sebring. He won there uh, nine years ago was the last time. Wow. Um, just a note as well that the Ali, uh, the Ally Cadillac is back for Jimmy Johnson, Kamui Kobayashi, and Simon Pagino. Yeah, and you want to know who our rookies are as far as the DPI class is, go- is concerned. Their names include Johnson and Magnuson. It's <laughs> yeah. a good point, actually. <laughs> I was just taking a, a drink there, and I, you caught me at just the, the wrong time. A full coverage <laughs> starting off uh, on, I think, Thursday, but all the times are up on the website. We've got sound coverage all the way through including on xm sirius uh and we'll be promoting the uh the channel numbers on xm sirius for the whole of the mobile 112 hours presented by advanced auto sports uh, advanced auto parts on saturday i say this every year but remember the race is saturday in, in american time and there i think there's going to be a a time change before we get to that for you guys. When do you put your clocks forward? Uh, Sunday. This this Sunday. Right. So there will be a time change in America. So the time change between America and uh, East Coast of America and the UK goes down from five to four. So it is hmm. only it is only a four hour time difference between Sebring and GMT. Uh, by the time we get the race. Weekend, okay. So that's that's really important. But the good news is that our our clever Tim Greer has programmed our schedule that it'll do the time changes uh, for you. Can't talk about uh, Sebring without talking about Mazda MX-5. Originally, they weren't uh, supposed to be there. There, the Itabitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup presented by BF Goodrich, and they've taken the opportunity. Uh, I think this is smart. Um, Mo Murray telling us that uh, it will this will probably replace a, a venue later on in the season. Canadian Time Motorsport Park. We're not sure what the crossings will be from uh, America into Canada. So with a bit of a gap on the program where WEC would have fit, then the Mazdas are out on the circuit. Um, Twenty-seven cars. 27 cars after their explosive and entertaining opener <laughs> debut, uh, as, the, <laughs> as uh, Creelsey would have said. Um, all the usual suspects is basically all I'm going to say there, Shay. Well, uh, not 
quite. Um, we have lost a couple of people from Daytona, including Saber Cook. Uh, we've gained five new entries to the series, though, I'm very excited to say. There has been some testing. There have been some team changes, drivers switching to different teams. Um, it's been quite an interesting couple of weeks since Daytona, as far as that's concerned. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's gotten back to me so far. I sent out a bunch of emails to try and get in contact, talk to a couple of people on the phone. And uh, just a really great paddock. And everybody has been out at Sebring. They've been running around. We are on for two phenomenal races, it's given gonna, the testing and how close the times were. Uh, it's going to be another um, slipstreaming festival. Just a note for those of you uh, in the US, we'll have all of the races in audio. Uh, the Mazda MX-5 and the Porsche race, we will have the... Uh, uh, we'll have in sound and vision in the US, all live and free, flag to flag. Uh, we'll also have the qualifying for IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship for those of you in the US for Michelin and for Michelin Pilot and for WeatherTech. If you're in the US, then we'll hand you over to the uh, safe hands of NBC sports and our colleagues there for those of you further afield of course you'll get full live uninterrupted coverage in sound and vision uh, via imza.com imzatv.com and of course on the player www.imzaradio.com that's our new portal for 2021 it's it debuted at uh, at Daytona at the Rolex and uh, it will continue throughout the rest of the season so whether you want podcasts whether you want live sound or live vision the easiest place to go for the IMSA content is imsaradio.com Com. Uh, Shea, stay with us. We've got another story. We're going to welcome Nick Damon back in a few moments' time because we've got some F1 uh, launch news uh, as well. Tim, where would you like to go next? Well, remember in the first hour we were talking about uh, the clicking house that you can buy? Yes. Well, that's a car that is due to race at Le Mans, but what about a car that has raced at Le Mans? Oh, <gasps> Yes. I know where uh, I know where you're going with this. This is the Matra, isn't it? No, it's not. What is, no. what is it then? What, what, what do you it think then? it is, Shay? It's the R18. It is that the car's R18. Never, that, that car never raced at Le Mans. Okay, that chassis never, was a spare this chassis. This car never raced anywhere. It was a spare chassis. But you can right, still okay, buy well, you it. All right, you said it was a car that raced at Le Mans. There's well, a Matra if that, you, that if was you one of the first two across the line. The, the, the R18s are not in great condition because Alan McNish destroyed one and Mike Rockefeller <laughs> destroyed one. That's a fair point. Well, well made and beautifully presented. Well, actually, I think they are in great conditions because all the pieces have been spread out around all the people who went in the forest to grab all the pieces. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, accoutrement for various people's living rooms now. Shall we club together? <laughs> and buy a chassis what do we number think it's 100 going for? I don't know it says uh, please inquire on the price list um, but it is one of uh, only six um, R18s that still exist and it's the only one that's got an ECU so it's the only one that can actually run yes. actually be started uh, whilst we're on Audi and uh, Le Mans winning things uh, Tom Christensen show, if you missed it on Tuesday, by the way, it will be going up into the archive. I presume that'll go into long ones as well, Tim, will it? Oh, it possibly could do, yes. Yes, I think we should put it in the long ones. 
Um, so Stephen Gardner's just asked because he missed it, how he could miss it when we played it at least three times on Tuesday at various nine o'clock. But Stephen, yes, it will be up in the next few days. Uh, looking forward to Sebring, Shea. I really am. It's you know another race on at the right time and, and fair play again. We've been mentioning the series, but fair play to John Doonan, all the organisers, everybody right through IMSF and the teams, of course, for, for making that happen. Yeah, and there, there's actually just an email sent out a couple hours ago about the different uh, COVID protocols. They're continuing to update those and to try and keep people as safe as they can. Uh, so as far as Sebring is concerned, still no fans allowed in the paddock area. And that is a secure uh, area where you have to have a um, QR code in effect to be able to get into yeah. the track every single day, in addition to having your temperature taken every morning. So it, it is still a situation where the paddock is um, I want to say sanitary, but that's never the case with the paddock. It, it's healthy, at least. <laughs> um, uh, we wait to see what else, what other knock-ons um, uh, Le Mans and WEC and various other things happen with IMSA. But if we know anything about those guys, that we'll, we'll hear it. Uh, as quickly as we can. I know it's a bit confusing at the moment, but really all we've got to do is take it as it comes. But the first two races of the year will have run on the first two weekends that they should have, on the proper two weekends that they should have. Don't forget, coming up uh, in about 20 minutes, Paul Tarsi with part two of the ALMS special. So if you've been a IMSA fan for a while, relive the glory days of American sports car racing. There was no world championship. There didn't need to be. We had the ALMS instead. Various uh, ALMS radio web voices, as well as Johnny O'Connell from Corvette Racing with Paul Tarsi. That comes up in 20 minutes' time. Uh, Nick Damon is back with us. Hello, Nick. Hello, Tim. Tim John, Tim. Hello, all Hello. Shay, everybody, the world. Uh, now, Nick, ca- if, you, know, if you weren't going to buy the R18, um, <laughs> would you mm-hmm. be interested in the Williams FW14? That's only a show car, isn't it? I don't care. Again, it's, it's fabulous. Only it's only 20 car. grand. It's 20 grand. I'm not, I'm not interested in any of the cars which you can't run, but if you could run an R18, I'd be very happy to uh, to, to get in the, a, the into, the, into the conning run, tower and yes. try and see out. <laughs> what could you run that R18 in? Is that is that sheer? You right. do, could you do that in historics old, in the states? It? So yeah, it's ten years. So you could run that in historics in the states. No, nah, you go straight to twenty four twenty five hours of lemons. <laughs> <laughs> twenty five hours of so Thunder right. Hill. Can you imagine running around that? The, the twenty five hours of, of Thunder Hill. Oh my God! You'd obliterate the lap record. You could ask well, Evo if you could keep I'm it on sure the track. I think I would. Class for it. Mm. Mm. Yes. The, Absolutely. The, uh, the sellers claim that uh, there's still 10,000 miles left on the engine and 7,000 on the gearbox before either of well, those need to on. rebuild. So. Well, Nick, I'll, I'll tell you, Tim and Nick, and Shea will back me up here, uh, how many times have we had conversations with Brad, Brad Kettler uh, and, and your dad, who used to uh, run and drive the cars for them when they were doing various practices at Champion, that the old R8s, the, the open top R8s, some of those had 25,000 kilometres, race kilometres on engines, and, you know, 20,000 kilometres on the gearbox here. They were extraordinary things. 
Yep, they did not break, and you just built them and ran them. And yeah, my my dad uh, ran the R8, the Le Mans prototype, actually chassis 607. He drove that to a championship in HSR. There are room for Audi prototypes in HSR over here in the states. So yeah, you could buy the R18 and run it in a series and uh, become a champion probably pretty easily. Do you think anybody <laughs> at the ACO would notice if we put a different body on it and entered it as a hypercar? No. Oh no, you're not allowed diesel. You're not allowed diesel now. Oh, you're not allowed man. diesel. I've just well, remembered. Well, hang on. Why don't we go super alternative? Run it on chip fat <laughs> from McDonald's. Yeah, get a McDonald's sponsorship. Run it on their chip fat. Nick, Off we go. Nick, and then it would be an alternatively fueled car. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Nick Damon, that is genius. <laughs> Absolutely. All we need is several tens of millions of euros, and and somebody who could drive it, and would be there. Yeah. Ted the yeah. Toyman says that the FW14 don't care that it's a show car. Made a great housewarming present, Hello Collective, for the new home that I'm building near the Bend Motorsport Park. Mm. Uh, Jesse says, run the R18 TDI on the Gumball Rally. Do you know what? That, you see, that does appeal. Can you that does. Oh, Pike's Peak. <laughs> With a turbo diesel, you'd lose, some, you'd lose some power at the top. Oh, I like that idea, though. Mm. Hear that noise? That's me just scratching my beard in a very Artonrevs.com is uh, where you uh, <laughs> need to go if you want to buy the uh, Audi R18 TDI, and if you want the Ferrari Williams FW uh, 14B, 14. that's mm-hmm. going up for auction at Silverstone Auctions on the 27th of this month. R18 slightly over the 24 hours of Lemons price bracket, which is $500. Yeah. Just slightly. Well, it just depends. You know, if you get I mean, someone, someone to give you it could, to you, you could, free. You could buy it and then sell it to Nick for $500. For $500. Yes, but then you've got to, then Nick would be obliged to sell it in the regs to anybody who offered him $500. Which would be you. <laughs> oh, yes, good point. Because <laughs> uh, you want I, your money back. We, can we say goodbye to Shea now? Uh, we can, yes. Shea, thank you very much. Best to everybody over there, and uh, speak to you in the next few days because we've got some uh, we've got some uh, previews to do, and of course we're talking Sebring next week. Yeah, good to chat with you guys. Bye, bye, Shea. Shea Adam joining us uh, live from the USA on Midweek Motorsport Series 16, Episode 10. Not a podcast, although we do make it available as an archive. If this is your uh, first time or you're new to this, plenty to catch up on. 16 series of a show that is broadcast live every uh, uh, every Wednesday from 8 till 10, and then we make it available as an archive as well. We have not yet done Formula One news. Nick Damon is our Formula One correspondent. Hooray! Still launch hooray, so, you know, quite reserved, but hooray nonetheless. And we should just have a, um, we should just have a big blanket that we throw over the top of you and pull off and you do a sort of muted hooray. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Like a budgie uh, in a cage. Or we could, <laughs> we could uh, launch an app and uh, have a holographic yes. nick that we can project anywhere. I'm not being hacked, thank you very much. <laughs> well, you say that. Oh, yeah. Give that me, was Williams. Try, at my fair, age, you try anything, should you really? Fair play <laughs> to Williams for trying something different, but um, it, it didn't work for them. I'm, I'm sure that they will, um, they will perfect that. 
in, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, we've we've all been watching various of the launches in the last few weeks. I, I may be slightly preempting something which Tim will shout at me. I know um, if I if, if I you're am not talking about can... Williams, then yes. All right, do do Williams first, then go on. Uh, what do we think of the Williams car, Nick? Um, it's got no sponsors. Well, it didn't when it's it launched. Huge but acres since of stripe, it's got huge since acres then, of stripy blue. Since well, then, they've announced something. three new sponsors. Well, go on then. Uh, B and R Industrial Automation that was announced on right. Tuesday at nine o two. That's a contract. Keep going. Yeah, Zeiss that was announced this morning. As in, at, uh, as in Zeiss lenses. lenses. Yes. All right. That okay. could be tiny. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> like, like Zeiss lenses. People who make things for glasses. Optics yes. and optoelectronics is uh, what they like to okay. uh, call their industry, but yes. Uh, that was announced this morning at uh, 9 a.m. Cameras and things, right. Uh, and then at 2 o'clock this afternoon, uh, Nexa 3D, who make People 3D who printers. do 3D apps. Oh, right, okay, 3D apps. Yeah, because 3D, 3D printers, got a, everything else 3D is falling on its backside, like films and television, but 3D printers work really rather well. Mm. Uh, and they're going to supply uh, technology to prototype things to go in wind tunnels. None of these are going to be writ large on the um, on the engine cover, are no, they? No, they're not. Do you know what is writ large on an engine cover today? What? Um, uh, an attempt by Philip Morris to um, get round the fact that everyone said their previous logo was too much like their fag packet. Mm. Cigarette packet, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so the mission winnow, or let's try and get subliminal advertising working, uh, they've now made that green. So rather than white with the arrow shape, which looks a lot like a well-known cigarette brand, uh, because it's now green um, and absolutely clashes and sticks like a sore thumb on the red of the Ferrari, they think they'll be able to run it in the countries that were suspicious of them last year and the year before. Does it look like a, a bit like the old Tic Tacs logo? It does. I, do you know what? It's exactly what I thought as well. It, 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 they copied the, the colour. In fairness, the, the, the new Ferrari, which I'm sure is going to be a significant improvement on last year's, because it has to be, is an absolute mess as far as a colour scheme is concerned. You'd think just doing red and sponsor logos, they couldn't get it wrong, but they've managed to have a gradiated red into, into burgundy, into black, and then all the, all the logos clash. Um, hey I mean, it's not the most important thing. It's finding 50 horsepower and a bit of rear-end grip. Uh, the thing about Tic Tacs is they're made by Ferrero Rocher, aren't they? Aren't they? Yeah, you've gone off track a bit. Can we drag? Well, can wasn't we drag Ferrero you back? Wasn't Ferrero Rocher a Ferrari sponsor in the past? Uh, They're right. a sponsor of somebody. I don't know why I think it's Benetton, but I'm probably wrong. Um, can I just mention something that a number of people I've noted have done? She, uh, even I said exactly uh, the same as Marino Franchitti did. Is it just us, or does the back end of the new Ferrari look like it's been set on fire and not repainted? Yeah. Yeah, no. This is their graduating back from you know red to burgundy to to black, and it does look like it does look like it's certainly it had some smoke damage, and they're waiting for the insurance test to come and see how much they're going to get for it. Maybe it's uh, in anticipation of uh, one of the new features of the engine. What flames? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah, it's, it's yeah. This 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 has. I mean, you know, I think we yeah we can say without fear or favour. This has been the most underwhelming launch season ever since launch season started. Mm. Uh, let's 
look at some other Formula One stories then. And uh, are we going to talk about Haas? We will do eventually, yes. But uh, we're going to start okay. with um, Williams. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, who isn't easy to work with, according to Yost Capito? George Russell, he's very demanding. Mm. He wants things done his way, and he wants to actually go around the corners fast and down the straights quicker. So that's good. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, who is in no rush to discuss his next contract? Blimey, Lewis? Close. Valtteri? Valtteri, yes. We can't mention Russia, though, can we? We can't say the word Russia. No, you have to say the the former Soviet Union, don't you? No, we have to say the... Uh, <laughs> Russian Automobile Federation. Russian uh, RAF. The RAF? Blimey, okay. Um, yeah, uh, no, the, 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 I don't know why, but several days after Mercedes launched, today has been the day when... It, this has been Valtteri 2.0 Porridge Day. Um, and they've all started coming out with something that he's that Valtteri's done, you know, done this, gone away into the into the forest and cycled on a bike and had, you know, sports psychology, and now he's completely different again. And he thinks he can win. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Good for uh, him. And we're all sitting there going, okay. it's not going to happen. That <laughs> might happen. Who wants to improve his tyre management? Um, Maria Zola from uh, Pirelli who keeps losing them. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> it's not okay. what's written on the card. It's not what's written on the card. No, God, tell me, I don't know. It's Isla Claire. It's Isla Claire. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't, I didn't think it was that bad, to be honest. No, me neither. You're just being hypercritical again for a quote. Uh, what's TPG going to buy? Everything. Well, eventually, I'm sure, yes. Nothing. It's a venture capital, private equity right. company. Well, everything then. They will build better. Uh, well, then whoever's available for, for, for purchase, which... which is everything. I'll, can I say Haas? Uh, you can, but you'd be wrong at the moment. I'm going to say Haas a lot. Do we talk about Haas? Uh, the answer is the MTC. Oh, the McLaren Technology Centre, yes. And they're going to lease it back, aren't they? Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, that's, a, that's that's been rumbling for months, isn't it? Uh, yes, but they're close to uh, signing the deal now. Hmm. Well, that's a family silver sold. Mm-hmm. You, do, you do that once, you know. Hmm. Uh, Dave Alcock says, is it me or does the launch of F1 cars in 2021 feel like everyone's given up already? It's as though they're launching the Lewis Hamilton F1 benefits. He's oh, not wrong. No, I, I just think the problem they have is that... If, this is the point, though, is that Mercedes are completely in the heads of everyone else now after seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the only time a team has been quicker than Mercedes in that seven-year period is when they were cheating. So it's quite worrying, isn't it? <laughs> it's when the other team was tre- cheating, we should say. Yeah. Yeah, it's when the other team was cheating. The team I, managed to get, I managed to get lost... Really lost the other day after I'd MOT'd the 993. And I was coming back uh, from John's Mortis at Foster's Booth. A fabulous place to go, by the way, if you're in Northamptonshire for any work. Uh, John, Will, Alison always look after me very, very well. And I decided to come back. I decided to go a different way, Nick. Oh, and dear. it was one of it's those. It was one of, it was one of those afternoons yeah. where I. 
I came out and thought, oh, yeah, I know this. Nick and I have been down here on our bikes. And it looked very similar, but it wasn't. And I got stuck in a Mobius loop of little back roads, for fabulous little back roads, quick little back roads, around the back of um, of Althop, um, uh, All right. Charles yeah. Althop's place, um, Princess Diana's old stomping ground. And... Um, almost had to turn on all my GPS again on my phone to find my way back, but then literally stumbled across. However, as I said to Dex when I was talking to him uh, earlier in the week, that was my own personal tribute to Hanu Mickler and his <laughs> Porsche driving days because I'd forgotten how much fun an, an air-killed 911 down a little country sort of uh, road rally road is when it's over 4,000 revs which in fairness mine doesn't do very much but when it is my goodness it picks up speed quickly for a 270 horsepower car <laughs> it was great fun absolute great fun <laughs> uh, uh, when do we get Formula 1 cars on the track Nick? Friday Friday Oh, they're all in Bahrain now um, <coughs> and they're all waiting to test the cars and get them rolling and see who's fastest are we expecting any shocks? No. There's are we a expecting... car we haven't seen properly yet, isn't there, Nick? Well, that, that was my point. That was exactly my point, Tim. You read my mind. Which car's that? What do you want to say tonight? Hass. Correct. Well, yeah, because they, uh, they, they rolled it out. The reason I want to talk about Hass is nothing to do with the Russian flag and nothing to do with, with whether or not Nikita Marzipan should be in there or not. It's to do with the fact they've already given up on the season. <laughs> which is to me is it may, is that like they put the answer phone message and the out of <laughs> office message on already hello that... you've reached Hass F1 um, this... we're we're off at the moment we'll be back in 2023 well it's not it's, this is like the um, yeah obviously teams have said well look we're going to take us three years to build and this is a building year but it, it, during the year they develop and they learn Hass said no we're not developing and they all said we didn't bother we didn't spend any of our tokens with our new car because it wasn't worth it now that's I not because they've given up, has. it's because they've got a chassis that's built in in uh, the Dallara factory in Italy and a team that's based in the UK and they can't send people from the UK to Italy. Um, what, they can't send computer pictures? And they can't so, have video conferences? What, well, you so still live in 1960, Tim. They basically <laughs> built a car using what the they had left in the factory. The whole world has very, the whole world has functioned for a year with no one where they were expecting to be. You can certainly design bits for a new F1 car. The fact is, what it really is, is that Gene Haas has given up. And what he has now is rolling around a, is a mobile for sale sign. Because he don't care no more. He's not interested. So he's just going to try and see if Nikita's dad's got enough money to buy the team, or if he's allowed to buy the team, more importantly. If not, it's to sell the highest. But the only reason he signed up the Concord Agreement was to try and keep the franchise value. He's, you know, Gene thought it. Gene basically thought it was going to be easy, and as soon as it wasn't easy, he's given up, and it's quite disappointing. They haven't, in fairness, until he attracted the investment from Mazapan Senior. They uh, strikingly failed to get any interest from any North American companies. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, it's, it's again, um, it's, again. Yeah, I mean, by the way, never had an American driver. Mm. You know, they, they've never chosen to go to go that route. Um, this year, they have two paid drivers, um, and 
a car that's basically, you know, left over already a year old and now is effectively two years old, um, with most of the senior staff on loan from Ferrari, uh, technical staff, or a lot of them are, and they're just, they're just gonna, you know, they, you know, they will get a little bit better at the start because they don't get a few minute, few horsepower. Um, but I sit there going, what is the point? Why, just, just, literally, don't, don't bother wasting everyone's time. Just pull down the garage, put Savonde on the front of it, and uh, wait for them to buy it. <laughs> Savonde. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, Gunter Steiner says uh, the expectation on Friday is to do as many laps as possible so uh, good that he's planning to actually test at a test Uh, we have some uh, nearly Formula 1 news is that Formula Uh, 2 news? Well, Formula 2 have been testing. I don't think we've got time to talk about Formula 2 testing. Oh, talk about testing. By the way, I made a mis- mistake earlier because MotoGP started their second t- test today. It wasn't, it's not on, uh, and Jack Miller was fastest. Um, it wasn't tomorrow. Lovely. Uh, we have some uh, news of superstars. Uh, this is Andy Merrick's BRDC Superstars <laughs> programme, which has mm-hmm. 13 drivers in it this year, including uh seven reigning champions and some new additions four new additions who are harry king who won the porsche carrera cup dominated the porsche carrera cup gb last year uh johnny edgar who is the reigning adac formula four champion uh zachary sullivan who's a runner-up in the british formula four championship and dtm trophy uh winner ben tuck and they join uh nine existing drivers on the programme who are Tom Gamble, Phil Hansen, Dan Harper, Jake Hill, Jonathan Hoggard, Callum Eilert, Sandy Mitchell, Ash Sutton, Dan Tictum. And that's all we've got time for tonight. Thanks to Nick and Cher and the team, of course, the responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. Uh, special thanks to Matt Endine for coming on part of the collective uh, with a really interesting look at how Motorsport UK is trying to get motorsport going and keep it going through the COVID and how that might translate into the future. Of course, to Marco Bonanomi and to everyone else who has contributed, uh, whether or not we have heard them on the show. Stay tuned to RS1, Paul Tarsi and Historic Racing News, their radio show next with part two of the ALMS special, including Corvette Racing's Johnny O'Connell. And next week, we'll be back with even more IMSA news because it's the Sebring 12 hours. The Mobile One 12 hours of Sebring gets us all excited. But there's no time to explain that right now because the Llama is off to buy a show car. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.